Do you hate your job? Of course you do. So do Liz and Noah. Now it's time to join their conversation so you can figure out how to quit your soul-crushing job. When Can I Quit My Job? Episode 32. Hello, Quitheads. I am doing a solo episode today. I want to kind of touch base on our IBC accounts and kind of let you know where we are with everything since that's kind of one of the main pillars of what we're doing. It's IBC, if you don't know or if you didn't listen to that episode, is called the Infinite Banking Concept. It's a strategy for for financing things in your life. Uh, first described by Nelson Nash in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker. And I learned from it from the Laura Murphy Show, which is a podcast I highly suggest, especially if you're interested in IBC or the infinite banking concept. So this is kind of an update on how we've been using our policies, a few things I've learned recently um, that might have maybe changed my perspective slightly, and kind of um, just where we are with our policies. So first off, we have three policies. Uh, two are on myself and one is on my daughter. At some point, we'll probably I'll probably have one on Liz too. But uh, really, I probably did one on my daughter a little earlier than is really recommended just because you kind of, you want to max out your own before you go, especially you can get it on another person, but to get it on your daughter, like if I die, like I'm, I'm the way that her policy is getting paid right now. So like if I put whatever her I'm putting into her policy, if I created another policy for myself with that, it kind of serves the same purpose for her at this point, as long as I teach her to create her own IBC account moving forward. Cause I mean, she's nine, so she, I, I haven't really talked to her about it and I don't have an estate plan yet, but I do want, if I die and my money, I mean, right now it's set just to go to Liz, but I do want a portion of it to be allocated to my daughter and I've got to work all that stuff out. And I want Liz and, or my daughter to take all that money and put it into their own IBC account. But I have not done estate planning yet it is something i need to do and it's something i need to probably put down on a calendar and make time to do that but so anyway i have two accounts on myself and that's basically what i'm talking about here the the one i have for my daughter is basically i'm slowly over time i had what was called an utma for her U utma it was kind of an alternative to uh 529 because I didn't want her to have to use it for college if she didn't want to uh, use the money in there for college if she didn't want to. Uh, basically what happens with a 529 if you don't use it for college you get taxed on it which defeats the whole purpose of your money being in there and growing. So I did an alternate called an UTMA which I think is a fine al alternative. It's basically it earns not quite as much interest but it's still compounding interest it's still like a nice place to grow money um but then i its performance is still based off of the stock market it can still go up and down no guarantees and because i believe in ibc so much i kind of am transferring her money from the utma to her own ibc account which unfortunately because of how young she is um and the regulations surrounding ibc and how fast you can put money in there versus your net worth and things like that you can do what's called mecking it which means you make your account it switches over from being a life insurance policy to being what's called a modified endowment contract and basically it would function a lot sim uh, very similar but difference being um when you get to the point where you can take money out of there 
like say in old age or whatever, you want to use it to supplement your income. When the when you take money out of there, it is taxed as income, which is different than how the purpose of this is how, how it's set up. So, But this is mostly about our policies and how we're using them for our land business. So that, that little point aside. So right now um, we've got, like I said, we have two policies right now. One has just under $13,000 in it available to us. And the other one actually just took a $5,000 loan out, uh, 4,000 of which is going to be me personally loaning it to my business for buying some more land. And that that's going to leave that one, the available money to me, just over $2,000. And it's going to have like $8,200 right around there in loans against it. And to refresh your memory, if you don't know, or you didn't listen to that episode, when I take a loan out, I, well, first off, when I take a loan, I'm not actually removing any of my own money. My account is used as collateral for the mutual insurance company to lend me a loan. So the money that I'm borrowing against still continues to grow at my guaranteed rate for my two accounts is 4%. So it still continues to grow at 4% compounding whether I have a loan out or not. Um, so, and then I pay 5% interest. So it's, it's simple interest. So it's not exactly a 1% effective interest rate. It's slightly less than that even, but, um, because it's not compounding, but still, still, yeah, I, I basically think of it as effectively paying 1%, but so, and we're going to take that money and buy some land with it and kind of use it as a buffer for our business while we kind of ramp up in these beginning months of me not having a job. So, and recently when I was on the Contra Cruise, there were a handful of people that knew what IBC was, but they had a lot of questions. And um, most of those questions will be answered on the, the podcast Wealth Without Wall Street or and or the Laura Murphy Report. And I was hoping that, uh, I, so... Robert Murphy was on the cruise with us and he's the expert. He's the one that I learned all about IBC from. And I was hoping that he would talk a little bit on it because I had talked to so many interested people and I was like amongst the nine people I talked to, I was kind of the expert because um, some of the people had the policies and some of the people were thinking about getting the policies, but no, nobody I talked to had used the policies. So, and IBC isn't a policy. IBC is the way you use the policy. So that's, that's a distinction. It took me a while to really realize. So if you just have these life insurance accounts, whole dividend paying whole life insurance, that's like the vehicle for doing IBC. So just having the accounts in and of that, in and of themselves is not IBC. IBC is a system, not a, not a place to put money. So you're not really doing IBC if you just have the policies that the point of IBC is to use them to fund the things in your life that you would otherwise be using a bank for. That's why it's called becoming, you know, becoming your own banker. Hey guys, I just want to take a quick second and share with you a new project I just put together. This is a compilation of angry voicemails set to some epic music. I think you'll enjoy the sample. I think you'll enjoy the full thing even more. Yeah, I received some sort of a purchase agreement. You sent us an offer for $450? You guys sent me a fucking thing about my property. Looks like a scam. We will sell this land when we are good and ready to sell this land. So I'm pretty proud of this project. At the time, I told Liz it was the greatest thing I've ever done. You'll definitely want to hear the full version on our Patreon page. 
Go check it out. Now back to the show. So basically, the the policy is just a way for you to capture all the interest you would otherwise be paying to a bank, which I've mentioned before, the average American pays 34.5% of their earned income paying banks interest. So this is basically a way to capture most of that. So now I talked to my, well, I talked to some people on the cruise and they are just thinking about for the first time actually implementing IBC on their already existing dividend paying whole life insurance plans. And one of the questions they had was, well, does that affect the dividend you get at the end of the year? Because every year at the end of the year, you get a dividend based on the performance of the insurance company. So if they did really well in their investments and they made, you know, a high percent, then based on your stance within the company, based on how big your policies are and how well the company did, then you'll get a portion of that because as you know, as a member of a mutual company, you are part owner and that's why you get paid a dividend every year. And those dividends should, I mean, as long as the performance is moderate, continue to grow as your policies grow. Um, So this particular couple I talked to were kind of worried because they said, well, I wonder if when I take a loan out, am I going to get penalized? As in, if I, if I have a loan, let's say, okay, so for my, my $13,000 policy, let's say I take out a $5,000 loan. Will I only get, uh, will I only get paid dividends basically on my $8,000? And uh, to the best of my knowledge, I was like, well, no, I don't think that's how it works. It's probably company policy, whether it does or not, it's not a hard, fast rule. But, uh, my thought was that, no, I think you still get paid on that, but I'm not sure that's something you'll have to look into. And so I, I got curious about that. So Last time I I called to take a loan, which by the way, the the phone call for me to get my $5,000 loan, basically the cutoff is $8,000. If it's $8,000 or less for a loan, the conversation that I have is usually less than a minute. And then in three to five business days, it's in my account. So it's basically I'll, I'll call, they'll verify my ID, and then I'll say, yeah, I'd like to initiate a policy loan. And they say, okay, which account? And I tell them which account. And they say, all right do you want, uh, how much do you want? And I'll just say, you know, $5,000. And I said, do you want it to the account on record? And I'll say, yes. Okay. Anything else I can do for you today? Nope. See ya. So, I mean, that's the whole conversation. But so the last time I called to, to do a loan, I was curious about that question that I, I heard from somebody on the, the cruise. And so I said, I guess I have a question first and then, you know, I'd, some business to take care of. But, uh, so I asked if I have a loan out, if that affects my dividends and they said yes. And I was like, Oh man, that, you know, shoot. (laughs) But, and then I thought about it, the way that we're using our IBC, it's not that big a deal that, that we don't get paid on that because the reason, especially the way we're using it in, uh, with our business is what, I mean, what, what could a dividend really pay you? Like last year, I mean, so, okay. Right. If you have, you know, a couple million dollars in policies or something like that, yeah, your dividend's going to be big. But for us right now, we're, you know, we've got, even if we had all of our loans paid off, we'd have 20, or $24,000 or something like that total. So what, what, how big can my dividend payment really be? You know, $500 or something. I don't know. I don't know. Cause last year I got, last year, my dividend payment, I think one account was like, a little over, it was like 150 bucks or something. And then one was like maybe 200 and something, which, you know, that's nice. It's a nice little money for nothing. But anything that we take out that goes into the business, I mean, we're, we're buying land that we are attempting to sell for three to 
maybe eight times what we pay for it, something like that. You know, we have contracts for, you know, six times, seven times what we paid for property and things like that. So if I can have a thousand dollars and I can turn it into $5,000, then I'm okay to miss out on the, let's say you have some awesome year and that gives you, you know, 10% interest or something by leaving it in there as a dividend, you know, you're going to get paid. Would you rather get paid dividends on that thousand dollars or would you rather turn that thousand dollars into five thousand dollars and then pay yourself back and then do it again you know what i mean so at first when i i heard that yes it affects it yes that having a loan out affects how much you get paid on a dividend i was a little disappointed but then when i thought about it i'm like well for the function of how we're using it who cares like so i'll you know I'll take a thousand dollars and I'll earn three thousand off of it and then pay it back and then I mean so I mean just thinking about that really put me kind of at ease that okay I'm not earning dividends on on my loans whatever that's fine so so that's kind of my recent thought process I it's not something I consider that the dividends although I do know I think um, Russ Morgan on his podcast Wealth Without Wall Street talked to sat down with Nelson Nash, who is um, the creator of the IBC, uh, you know, infinite banking concept. And I guess Nelson brought a dividend check with him uh, when they sat down to eat some meal. And Russ didn't divulge how big it was, but he said he showed it to him and just kind of laughed. And like, you know, it makes me think it's, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars or something like that. So those dividend payments can become pretty significant. I know, I know that much. Now, the other thing to consider too is, if we were not using IBC for our business exclusively, then it is it does have slightly more bearing that it's not gonna that it does affect the dividend payout. Uh, hey guys, I want to take a quick second to play a clip of our newest Patreon bonus content. The full length audio of this is about one minute long, and it is not bleeped on our Patreon page. All you have to do is become a five dollar a month patron, uh, and you can listen to this uncensored. Man, fuck you fucking faggot motherfuckers. Why don't you motherfuckers eat shit and fucking die? How about that? Like I said, it's just a small clip. If you'd like to hear the part about finding us and feeding us the crocodiles, go over to Patreon. Now back to the show. So reason being, so if we will use our IBC accounts to buy our next car, for instance, and the reason which I can kind of give a brief explanation of why that's beneficial to, to buying in cash and especially beneficial to buying through a bank. But um, I think you can kind of see why it's more beneficial than buying to a bank because you can see why it's beneficial to save cash and buy it versus borrowing from a bank. So it's kind of a tiered system. Uh, Paying in cash is more beneficial than borrowing from a bank and paying with IBC is more beneficial than paying in cash. And I'll explain why. So when you obviously when you buy in cash, you don't pay interest to a bank. So you've seen, I mean, I'm sure you've seen examples of like mortgages and things like that. Cars are just like um, a lesser version of that. So when we when we bought our house, when Liz and I bought our house, there is the price that it was marketed as and then the price you're going to end up paying and you have to sign your name right next to the price you're going to end up paying and it was more than double what the the price marketed was and it's like oh the, he actually said don't worry about that number that's just what you're going to end up paying like <laughs> 
oh, all right, thanks. Like, because, because of interest, right? And so car's the same concept, except it's, you know, it might be a five-year loan instead of a 30-year loan. So you might only pay 100, you know, 150% of what you, the ticket price is. So it's kind of obvious there that, yes, while today's money is worth more than tomorrow's money, um, still you're better off if you paid with cash because the total ticket price, you know, unless the dollar, the value of the dollar plummets or something in the next five years, then yes, you're better off to pay in cash. So to borrow a phrase, the seen versus the unseen. Um, I don't remember if that's Hazlitt. I think that's Hazlitt. I'll link to that. So the seen versus the unseen. So yeah, you say, well, why, why, how could, um, an IBC policy using the IBC, how could that be better than just paying in cash? Well, because the reason is, think of it this way. You're, what are you earning on your your cash in your, your savings account? Probably, I think our savings account for our main federal credit union is something like 0.0125% or something like that, which is like stupid. Doesn't like, it doesn't matter how much money we have in there. We're not seeing any significant growth uh, from a bank. And so, and, and how do you build up cash? How do you build up cash to buy a car? Well, you, you pay into your bank. You pay extra into your bank and you keep it in there, right? So even though it may not feel like it, if you are someone who finances purchases through cash, you're paying, you're paying basically a monthly premium into your account that you're saving that you're going to use later. And that, and that money that you've got in there is earning 0.0125%, um, you know, 0.1% if you're lucky. And so now if you could be paying that same premium payment into a, an account that is earning you 4% compounding and plus dividends, why wouldn't you want to do that? I mean, so the the only, okay, there are, there are two drawbacks and one I don't talk about very often on here, but, um, and I don't hear them talk a lot about it, but there is, there is, so with a uh, whole paying or dividend paying whole life insurance plan, there is a premium. And of course that premium does not go to build your usable cash. So it's not one to one. When I put $500, when I pay $500 a month, you know, 290 is my premium payment and 270, you know, is and I know that doesn't add up right, but anyway, but 270 goes to my usable cash. So there is there is a a, a portion of time where you don't have access to everything you put in there. So keep that in mind too, but but the idea is, well, it gets more efficient over time. And at some point I'll have access to more money than I've ever put in there. So that's, that's kind of down the road, but that will happen. Um, but so if you could take that, let's say you're buying a car for $5,000. If you could take that $5,000 and you could put it somewhere that's going to just earn 4% compounding for the rest of your life. And, and then instead of paying your paying yourself a monthly premium to your bank that doesn't earn any money and pay it back into there you're better off you're better off taking that $5000 that you're going to buy a cash car a car for cash with starting a new IBC policy and then borrowing all that money out of there immediately so your available cash goes to zero and then you buy the car okay so you took a couple extra steps there but now that $5000 is going to earn 4% compounding interest for the rest of your life. And instead of putting $100, $50, $200 a month into your bank account to build that back up for the when your car finally breaks down, you buy a new one, you're paying that money back to yourself uh, in your IBC policy, which will also continue to grow. Uh, so let's say you have that car for five years, you've paid, you've paid it back. What you would have put, put in the bank is now in your IBC policy, and you've paid yourself off, okay? So in 
the in the world where you are using a bank account, you've got your $5,000 ready to go for your next car. In the world where you're using IBC, you've got the $5,000 plus the dividends plus the 4% compounding interest. So let's say you've got you know, $5,500 or something like that. And now you borrow $5,000 again. Now you've got that additional 500 in there. That's, I mean, the entire $5,500 is now earning 4% compounding. So you go through the cycle again, and let's say next time you've got, you know, 6,200, and then you go through the cycle again, and next time you've got like 7,000. And, you know, so it continues to grow. Whereas if you're using just a bank account, you're just taking the 5,000, spending it, and then rebuilding it back up every time. So the compounding interest plus the dividend really uh, can make a significant difference, especially over time, especially if you're younger. Um, but so the the two, this is a little bit of a tangent, it's related to IBC obviously, but um, the, the two types of um, people that are really hesitant to get to start a whole life insurance plan, because you have to pay till you're, I don't know, 100 or something like that. The two types of people that are hesitant to start are people who are too young because they don't make enough money and people too, who are too old because they have to pay too much into it because they're so close to death and the actuarial algorithms or whatever say for them to have anything significant, they've got to put a whole shitload of money in there. Um, but I've seen uh, models drawn up that it's, I mean, better to have than not to have, even if you start with a small, tiny policy and you're 20 years old or something. Well, first off, there's the benefit. The sooner you do it, the better because you can be diagnosed at any turn with uh, with some kind of disease or something that makes you uninsurable. You know what I mean? So, um, and you know, there is some chance, even if you're 20, you could die tomorrow. So, I mean, obviously not, it's not good. You won't get, ever get to implement IBC if you start one of these policies and die the next week or whatever. But I mean, the there, I'm just demonstrating there is a benefit to starting, even if it's you can only pay 50 bucks a month or something like that. Uh, there is a benefit to starting this, and the sooner the better. And typically, people are in better shape and uh, actuarially, actuarially, statistically, you're gonna live live longer based on how young you are. I mean, unless you're gonna do gastric pipe bypass surgery or something like that, but. You know what I'm saying. So I don't know. Those were just kind of some of the uh, newer thoughts and ideas I had about IBC. Uh, if you have a specific question you want me to address, again, I'm not the authority. These are just like I'm learning as I go. But that's kind of that ready, fire, aim in mentality. I I just I saw the benefits of creating one of these accounts. So I wanted to start it because I, I know the sooner the better, especially when we're talking about compounding interest. And as I think I mentioned before, when I started my first account, I, it, I, the reason I was going to use it was totally different than the one I set up the second account. So my, my second account's much more efficient and much more built for what we're actually doing, but I'm using both accounts all the time. So it's really worth looking into. I highly suggest both of those podcasts that I mentioned and also Nelson uh, Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, and I'll link to all that stuff. So yeah, just a little solo episode, kind of giving you guys my, my new thoughts and revelations about IBC. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you next Monday. Bye. Thanks for listening to When Can I Quit My Job? Please remember to support the show by visiting com and clicking the Patreon and Amazon links. Also, subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Tell your friends about us.
Liz and Noah are not financial or legal advisors, and all information given on this podcast should be consumed for entertainment purposes only.